0: chapter 35 in Genesis. Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I'll build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they, they had with them and the rings in their ears and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out and the terror of God fell upon all the towns around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar and he called the place El Bethel because it is there that God revealed himself to him and when he was fleeing from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried under the oak below Bethel. So it is named Alon Bakuth. After Jacob returned from Padamaran, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will come from your body. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he talked with him. Jacob set a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it, and he also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked to him, Bethel. Then they moved on from Bethel. While they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, don't be afraid for you have another son. As she breathed her last, for she was dying. She named her son Benoni, but his father named him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Over her tomb Jacob set a pillar and to this day that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Israel moved on again and pitched his tent towards Migdal Eldah. While Israel was living in that region, Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine Bilna and Israel heard of it. Jacob had 12 sons, the sons of Leah, Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, the sons of Rachel's maidservant Bilnar, Dan, and Naphtali, the sons of Leah's maidservant Zilpah, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob, who were born to him in Padamaram. Jacob came home to his father Isaac in Mamre, near Kirath-Abar, Arba, is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had stayed. Isaac lived 180 years, then he breathed his last and died, and was gathered to his people, old and full of years, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. May God bless that reading to us this morning.
1: Thanks, Carl. Uh, Keep that passage open if you've got your Bible there, and we're going to take a look at that now, but how about I pray first? Father God enlighten us with your word this morning help us to understand what you would have us understand remind us of who it is that you are and how you have acted for your people in the past so that we might have confidence to know how you will act for us in the future and we pray all this in jesus name amen i think i've used this example before but it has a just, it just fits really well. But quite a few years ago now, I'm still hanging on to it, it's probably the most heroic thing I've ever done, uh, I did the Oxfam Trail Walker. Um, you may have heard of it, it's a, a 100 kilometer walk through the bush, you do it in a team of four, but you do it non-stop. Uh, and so I did it with a group of friends we, down in Sydney, we walked 100 kilometres through the day, through the night, into the next day, uh, walking to raise money. And it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever actually done. Because I've never given birth to a child. Uh, but, and it was hard. The thing that made it hard, like walking is not hard, is it? Walking is quite easy. But the thing that made it hard was to keep walking, To continue going when your feet were tired, or when your feet were bleeding with blisters, uh, when your, your legs were tired, when you were just numb from walking in the dark in the early hours of the morning. It was really difficult to resist the temptation to give up. Because giving up would have just been the easiest thing to do. What is it that kept me going? It was probably a combination of things. Logistics. I had arranged for someone to pick me up at the end, so if I tapped out halfway, well, I don't know how I was going to get home. There was a little bit of willpower and determination. There was a lot of peer pressure. I had told people that I was going to walk 100 kilometres. I didn't want to face up to them and say, oh, I only walked 50. There was a commitment to people who had donated money for me to do these things. All of those things sort of combined to keep me going. The Christian life is a bit like the Oxfam trail walker. It is a journey. It is a long journey. It is often a painful journey. And it's a journey that can become so painful that the hardest thing about it is to keep going a journey where the easiest thing to do at times is just to tap out, to give up, call it quits. And so the question for us this morning is, what is it that will keep us going? What will keep you from throwing in the towel when it comes to your faith? What will keep you from calling it quits and giving up on following after the Lord Jesus? Now, maybe you've never thought about that before, Maybe the idea of giving up on Jesus seems impossible to you. But friends, if, if your past performance is the thing that you're looking to to keep you going, if you think that it's your sheer grit and determination and willpower that will keep you trusting Jesus and following after him, I want to warn you this morning that there's a reasonably good chance that you'll fail If you're depending on your own efforts to keep going, there's a good chance that you won't. Because when following Jesus gets tough, and it will, you're going to need more than your own strength to keep going. And so this morning we're going to answer the question, what is it that will keep us going to the very end? It's not ourselves, and the good news is is that there is something better. And so to answer that, we're going to consider this last section of Genesis 25 to 35. We've been studying this for a number of weeks. It is the account of the family of Isaac. We've largely been focusing in on Jacob. And today we come to the end of that section. And here in chapter 35, there's three things that we're going to see. If you grabbed a handout on the way in, you'll see them on the back. Firstly, we're going to see that life as God's people is hard. Secondly, we're going to see see that grace has brought Jacob safe thus far. And thirdly, we'll see that grace will lead him home. But firstly, we're going to see that in Genesis 35, life for God's people is hard. For Jacob, it wasn't blisters or aching legs that made it hard for him to keep going, although he had travelled a long way in his life. For Jacob, the thing that made life hard was sin. Genesis 35 begins very much in the context of sin. And if you were with us last week in chapter 34, you'll know that Jacob has just experienced sin done to his family. Last week, we saw Jacob's daughter, Dinah, assaulted by Shechem. Jacob has experienced experienced sin done to his family. He's also experienced sin done by his family because Simeon and Levi, Jacob's sons, well, what did they do in response to this attack on Dinah? They attacked back and wiped out an entire town. Jacob has seen and experienced sin done to him, sin done by his family, and he's very much living with the consequences of that sin. Because of what Simeon and Levi did, Jacob's whole family is in danger. The locals in the area know that Jacob's family is dangerous, and so Jacob is actually living in fear for his safety. He says that at the end of chapter 34. Jacob knows that sin is a problem in his family and so in verse 2 of chapter 35, he gets his whole family around and he says, we're going to get rid of all the foreign gods. You see, despite the fact that Jacob and his family were chosen by God, personally chosen to be his people, it seems members of his own family were actually dabbling in the worship of other gods. It's like an Apple executive being busted using a Samsung phone. It's like a doctor smoking a cigarette, that the very people who should be most passionate and most committed to God are hypocritically, sorry, worshiping idols, false gods, foreign gods. And so Jacob calls them out. He says to his family, get rid of the gods, bury the idols, trust only in Yahweh, the Lord God. And they do. They, they bury their foreign gods, these idols, under a tree. But there is still sin in Jacob's family. Just as Jacob seems to be getting a grip on his family, getting control of his wayward descendants, uh, in verse 22 we read this, this little account of Reuben, Jacob's eldest son, sleeping with Jacob's wife. Now we only get one verse on this little story, but it's an important verse because it's a massive blow to Jacob. Jacob. He's been stabbed in the back by not one, but two members of his own family, his son and his wife. Jacob's life is hard because of sin. But there's something else that makes Jacob's life hard. And it's something that punctuates chapter 35 right throughout. It's death. Did you notice that death occurs again and again in Genesis 35. In verse 8, we're told about Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, dying. Now, she's a minor character in the story. In fact, up until this point, she has been mentioned in one phrase in Genesis. She's not even a character in the story, but the author wants us to know she died. Genesis 35 ends in verse 29 with Isaac dying. He had a good innings, 180 years, it's a long life. But sandwiched in the middle, in verse 16, we read the heartbreaking account of the death of Rachel. The love of Jacob's life, the wife that he pursued and cherished, the one who had already given him one son dies, giving birth to a second. You see, all of these details are included to show us that Jacob's life is hard. He's been chosen by God, he's been blessed by God, but despite God's favour, Jacob still has to deal with sin and its consequences. Just like everyone else in the world, Jacob still has to live under the shadow of death. And friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will still have to live under the shadow of sin and death too. Now, of course, you know that. You know that every day you live experiencing the consequences of sin done to you and sin done by you. We tend to notice the sin done to us more than the sin done by us. But we know that both are true, don't we? And every day we live in the looming shadow of death. We don't tend to like to focus on that. But every now and then we get the reminder, don't we? This week I got that reminder. Yesterday afternoon I watched online the funeral of one of my close friends from high school. She passed away from breast cancer. Last night, Janice and I had a friend over who's struggling to come to grips with the, past, the tragic passing of her housemate just last weekend. At some point this week, Janice and I will head down to Sydney to likely say farewell to her grandma. This week was a heavy week for us. Death loomed large. In one sense, it was an unusual week, except it's not. Because death is not unusual, is it? It's as certain as certain gets. We will all die. Everyone we know will die. And at some point in your life, that might shake your faith. At some point in your life, confronted with death, you'll begin to doubt whether God is actually good. You might get angry with him. You'll start to wonder, can I really trust this God? And it's at that point that the question we asked at the beginning becomes critical. What will keep you going when life gets hard? What will keep you trusting Jesus when you are faced with death? Well, in our passage this morning, we see two things that keep Jacob going when life got hard. We see the first one in the very first words of the chapter. When life was hard for Jacob, when he experienced the harsh reality of sin and all its consequences, God spoke to him. Then God said to Jacob in verse 1, and as he spoke... God reminded Jacob of who it was that has brought him to this point safely. God says to Jacob, verse 1, go up to Bethel, settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. He says, build an altar to the God who appeared to you. He's reminding Jacob of the time that he last appeared in Bethel. Way back in chapter 28, when God appeared to Jacob from the top of that stairway from heaven. See, in that vision, God showed to Jacob his commitment to him. He showed Jacob that he would help him. The stairway was a visible sign that God's, of God's messengers coming down to help Jacob. And so in that dream, God told Jacob, uh, firstly, that he would give Jacob the land on which he was lying, secondly, that he would give Jacob many children, and thirdly, that he would be with Jacob wherever he went and that he would protect him. Those were the promises that God made to Jacob back in chapter 28, last time he was in Bethel. And so here in chapter 35, God is reminding Jacob that he has done what he said he would do. He says, go back to Bethel and remember all the things that I promised you. Because when Jacob does that, he'll see, firstly, that he's back in Bethel. He's back in the land that God said he would give him. Secondly, he'll see that he now has lots of children. We get them listed here in this chapter. He's got 12 sons. And thirdly, he'll see that God has indeed been protecting him. He's protected him from Laban, his uncle. He's protected him from Esau, his brother. He's protected him from the men of Shechem. Here in verse 5, we're told that God has continued to protect Jacob from all the people surrounding them. When God speaks to Jacob, he wants Jacob to see that his grace has brought him to where he is. God has been with him. But unlike your superannuation fund, when it comes to God, past performance does guarantee future results. And so God wants Jacob to know that just as his grace has brought Jacob safe thus far... Grace will continue to lead him home. And so in verse 9, Jacob goes to Bethel and God speaks to him again. You see, God has has just spoken to Jacob. He's just reminded him of his grace. He's just reminded him of how he has done everything that he said he would do. And then in verse 9, God speaks again. Just in case Jacob had any doubts that he could trust God, God assures him. Firstly, God assures Jacob by giving him a new name. Now, he'd already given Jacob a new name. He named him Israel when he wrestled with him in chapter 32. Now, he gives it to him again. He reminds him. He calls him Israel, which means God strives. God wants Jacob to know that God is striving for him. Secondly, God assures Jacob with his own name. He gives Jacob a new name, but then in verse 11, he says, I, I am God Almighty. There's only two places in Genesis where God calls himself that. El Shaddai, God Almighty. This is one of them. The other time is when God makes promises with Abraham in Genesis 17. Both times God calls himself El Shaddai, he's making outrageous promises to people. In chapter 17, he's telling a 99-year-old man that his old and barren wife is going to have a baby Here he's telling Jacob that his family will live in this land that's occupied by other people and that his family would produce kings and that his family will ultimately save the world. Outrageous promises. Who could keep them? Only someone who is truly almighty. El Shaddai. God appears to Jacob again because he wants to remind Jacob that he is still with him. His grace has brought him safe thus far and his grace will continue to be with Jacob and his family as God continues to fulfill his outrageous promises. He will continue to grow Jacob's family into a great nation. Through that nation, he will bring kings. Through that nation, he will bring a saviour who will bless all the nations of the world. It's by sheer grace that God chose Abraham to begin the plan. It's by sheer grace that he promises to continue it. And so God wants Jacob to know that he can trust him. He's proven faithful in the past. He will continue to be faithful in the future. And it's so important that Jacob hears this message because, you see, just after God reassures him of this, well, Jacob gets a fresh reminder of how hard his life is. It's just a few verses later that he is grieving as his dear wife dies giving birth. Jacob's life is hard He still has to live in the ever-present shadow of sin and death. God does not spare him from life's struggles. Life is hard. But El Shaddai, God Almighty, is with him. Friends, one of the biggest lies that Christians have told to people today is that following Jesus will make your life easy. If, if that's the kind of Christianity that you've bought into, I'm sorry to break it to you. You've been sold a lie. Trusting Jesus does not make your life easy. It'll make your life better, absolutely. Not easy. Because the Christian life is hard. And the Bible doesn't shy away from that. The Christian life is hard. Following Jesus is hard. Being one of God's people is hard. It's a long and sometimes painful journey. And some of you have experienced that pain in the past. Some of you are in it right now. Some of you have never experienced it, which means your turn is still to come. But make no mistake, following Jesus will be hard. As a Christian, you are still to experience the the general struggles of life, the things that everyone experiences, sin, sickness, suffering, death. You're not immune to those things. You will still face them. But added to that, there's also particular struggles of following after Jesus. Things like self-denial. Things like waging war with sin. Things like persecution. These things are unique to God's people. Your non-Christian friends, they don't have to deal with those. You will. The Christian life is hard. How will you keep going? You can keep going knowing that it is grace that has brought you to where you are today. Because you can look back in your own life and see the work that God has done to bring you to where you are. But you can look further back than that. You can look back in history to see that God has been faithful to you in the past. You can see the way that he has worked all things for your salvation. Particularly this coming week as we celebrate Easter, you can can recall, you can be reminded that God sent his son for you. His own precious, sinless son who stepped down from his heavenly throne, who suffered and died, who faced sin and death for us so that we might overcome. Friends, look back and see God's grace to you. Look back to see how that message of hope has been brought to you down through generations, down through people who travelled across the world to, to share that news. Look back and see how, how God brought you to, to know that news. Maybe it was through parents or through someone else who shared Jesus with you. We can look back and see that it is by sheer grace that we have been brought safe thus far. And when you see that, you can continue to have confidence that his grace will lead you home. In Philippians 1, Paul writes to the Philippians and he says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The one who brought you safe thus far will bring you safely home. And so friends, this morning, know, know that life is hard. The Christian life is hard. Every day we face sin and death. What is it that will keep us going? It's knowing his grace. Knowing that God in his love has acted to bring you safely thus far and knowing that by His grace, and His grace alone, He will bring us home. Let me pray. Father, we know that life is hard. Every day we face the struggles of living in this world, in a world that is broken by sin, where there is disease, where there is injustice, where there is suffering and pain, where there is death. Life is hard. And we know that trusting you through those difficulties can be hard too. We know that it can be hard to trust that you are good. We know that it can be hard to believe that you are actually acting in our best interests. But Lord, we're reminded this morning that you are the God of grace that you give generously to people who don't deserve it, that you show love and tremendous faithfulness to people who are undeserving of love and who are so unfaithful to you. But Lord, we pray this morning that you would help us know your grace, help us see the work that you have done in eternity past in calling us to yourself Help us to see the work that you have done in history by sending your son to die in our place. Help us to see the work that you have done in our own lives in bringing us to know you and to trust you in the first place. Remind us of your grace. Remind us that it is your grace that has brought us to where we are so that we might have confidence to know that it is your grace alone that will lead us home keep us trusting you through life's difficulties we pray so that one day we will arrive where we will enjoy life in your presence where we will have joy and rest as your people lord keep us trusting you until that day we pray For the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen.